0: What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm here soon tonight
1: with uh, Braden and Striker. How's it going? Uh, it's good. Um, Striker is a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what he's upset about, but you know that he's doing his thing. Uh, but it, it's good. It's good over here. That
0: that is good to hear. It's been a wild, wild week, and. Uh, you're gonna take us through the betting results for last week
1: i mean i'd prefer not to but um i i will anyways um so with a thousand pod bucks between us for the 10 matches um our returns uh, weren't as good as they've been uh, some previous weeks um i came in second to sapoon it's, it's been a little while since Spoon got me so congratulations um, I returned four nineteen forty five on a thousand pod bucks, and uh, Sapoon returned eight fifteen twenty four on a thousand pod bucks. So, still, uh, still both a little down this week. But I, you know, it, we're going to talk about some of these results that are just kind of boggle your mind about how they actually happen. Like it's, it's a weird time to bet on three way money lines, that's for sure. Yeah, and given the season so
0: far, it is very hard to predict week to week what's going to happen because there was a week earlier in the season where both Manchester United and Liverpool conceded six and seven goals respectively. And this, in the same weekend, Liverpool ended up scoring seven and Manchester United ended up scoring six. So it is kind of, you know, a very wild season so far. So let's get into it. First game, Crystal Palace against Liverpool, did not see a scoreline like this coming, 7-0 Liverpool, Palace had their chances when it was still 1-0, did not take him, Uh, suddenly it was 3-0 before half and then uh, before you knew it, Mo Salah came on, it was 7-0, it it kind of felt like a uh, Klopp taking out his frustrations, I don't know about what, Uh, but Liverpool uh, 7-0 they'll be on top at Christmas in this decade, the only team to have not won the league when they had been on top on Christmas is Liverpool. So, how do you feel?
1: Yeah, it's a. This is a. This is a Liverpool team that feels like they're in a resurgence. Like I, I definitely wrote them off before. Not just not not just the Van Dyke injury, but also the Joe Gomez injury, which I I thought was gonna kind of be the the nail in the coffin that I wouldn't be able to really recover from and kick on, but they've looked really good. And just, this is another strong result from them. And they're, it it doesn't seem to matter what you do to this Liverpool team. Like they, they found a way to keep scoring goals and granted it's just crystal palace. And you know, that that's kind of fine, but they also put up four against wolves. Like they, they're scoring goals for fun right now. And it's a, Really strong, and this is a really, really good coaching performance from Klopp. I think this is probably—I I think this is better than uh, the past couple years. Uh,
0: I mean, so I, I will say this personally. Uh, I think it was a bit overstated what had happened with Liverpool. Like, yes, losing losing Virgil Van Dijk sucks, losing Joe Gomez sucks. They don't play a game where you, you need the defenders that much. The way they play is. There are very few teams that can really take the game to them. And it took them a couple of weeks, much like every other big team, to get in shape, to get in rhythm. And once they have done that, they are just showing their class. Yes, I'm not saying losing those players does not matter. But again, the injuries have happened, but the players have also come back from injuries. I will say the way Palace plays is not at all suitable in order to take advantage of what Liverpool are trying to do. I might have said something different in the preview because I'd hoped Eze and uh, Zaha would be a bit more involved in the game. That just wasn't the case. And when Liverpool ultimately start defending from the front, right? Like, it's their front three that start the press. And as long as that is going to be the case, and especially with the resurgence of Firmino in his, like, I don't know, fucking seven positional roles that he plays on that team, um. It, he he, when he plays well this is what happens right and last year they he wasn't playing as well so I think this is another case uh rumors about Mo Salah and you know the captaincy and whatever that happened against in a dead rubber game against Midgetland I'm uh, kind of stunned by
1: that any last minute thoughts before we move on to the next game yeah so I mean to touch on that real quick I I didn't really know what to make of that I, I felt like that whole story was probably made out bigger than it actually was. Like, I think that there was probably a, a little bit of Salah, you know, making his feelings known, but beyond that, I, I doubt it really had that much of an issue. And I, and I would be very... I mean, he got... Him, though, I, to be fair. Do you think he... Like, would, it would be a question if he didn't get dropped. But, I mean, he brought him on in the second half. Like, it, it was, it clearly was not that serious because if it was that serious you would have just not played him at all like, i i i'm not even sure it's not cover for just giving him a little bit more of a rest to be honest like we're getting into a lot of fixtures i i think this is an easy thing to like say oh this was a big thing this is why now it's done and you know you just snuck in a rest for one of your players and that and that's kind of all it is agree and um i will just say in
0: my personal opinion it felt more so that he might be out there trying to get a little bit more money, his n- money in his new contract than, you know, because uh, Liverpool have had a very strict weight structure in order to be where they are currently. Anyway, uh, that was that. Liverpool, good on them, 7 0, top of the league at Christmas once again. I think this is the third or fourth year in a row that they'll be top of the table on Christmas, having one only one league. So let's hope that it stays at one league uh, even while they lead on Christmas. The next team, the Saints at home against Manchester City. Man City, 1-0 winners. Uh, I don't quite know what to make of this game. Manchester City, still not very impressive, but a job well done to win the game 1-0. Southampton, again, a game that I think they did not play at their very best and ended up, you know, not doing a whole lot. But I guess the 1-0, Manchester City will take three points. Southampton will feel a little hard done by But can't really complain when City has the quality that they do to put you away.
1: Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I think that Southampton were pretty good in this in this match, and I, I think that they took it to City as well as they could. They had a couple chances didn't capitalize, and you know, I felt like they kept City from creating that many chances against them. It's just City managed to put one away, and that that was kind of the difference in this game. Like I thought these two teams were pretty even, which you can take from that, what you will, as far as what you say about city and Southampton, because I, I think these are two pretty good teams. Um, I, which I think if you're a city fan it's probably a little worrying. to you say you're a pretty good team because you expect to be a very good team. And if you're a Southampton fan, I think you have to be encouraged by this game because I I think they should feel a little hard done by to not get a point from it because I, I felt like they were pretty pretty close to the levels of City in this game.
0: Yeah, I very much agree with that. And I, I guess they will keep pointing out to the fact that their strikers aren't there. I mean, I will still keep pointing out to the fact that they spend close to a billion dollars for everybody else. So, like, just because you don't have your two strikers does not mean there's a lack of quality in where the goals come from. So... It is very telling for a team like that. As I'm looking at the table, they're currently eighth with uh, 23 points with a game in hand, much like Manchester United. So if they win, they will be tw- they will be right there along with United on 26 points and Everton at 26 points. So I don't think it's as bad just because I think the table looks a little bit weird with them having one last game. But it, a Pep Guardiola team has not looked like this in in at least my time of watching Pep Guardiola except for maybe his first season and Man City and you still understood it a little bit why it was looking like that. So as you said, ominous signs ahead for Manchester City if this does not improve. As far as Southampton goes, I think losing three points to Manchester City at home is not really going to break their season. They are playing really well. They're still doing the things that uh, Hasenhutl wants them to do. And I think um, next game we shall see how they rebound from this loss. Talking about rebounds, Arsenal are still trying to rebound and come up and do something, and it just hasn't worked out for them. Everton back-to-back wins against both London, uh, three wins on a trot, I think, for Everton now. Two-one against Arsenal. I mean, I I just genuinely did, didn't think Arsenal was going to win the game, win the game at all at Goodison. The fact that they were, it was one-one at one point. I was surprised. Everton good job all i'll say is y'all might really need to cut your losses and sell pepe soon
1: i mean well so i don't i don't know what you're referring to specifically in this game about like why you would say that um that's not necessarily an incorrect comment on the whole because i do feel like you can look at this team and say that there's better ways to construct a team than one with nicola pepe but, I, I mean, when I watched this game, I didn't think he had a bad match overall. Uh, is there something I mean, specific I, I that would, you're referring to? I was
0: just talking about the meme that happened with him where he cut in from the right-hand side and absolutely shot the ball outside Goodison. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's become kind of normal with him, so it's kind of, that's why
1: I said that. Yeah, I mean, Pepe takes a lot of low-percentage shots, and and that's kind of, you know, that that's... Arsenal on this team kind of needs someone to take low percentage shots because otherwise they don't take any shots at all. I don't know. It's just it's another game that I saw a few things go okay. Uh, so the, the actual criticism I have of Pepe comes on the the uh, Yerry Mina goal because if you look at that goal, it was a very well played ball by uh, Sigurdsson in an absolute perfect spot and with the zone marking, you know there's not really a whole lot that you know, and Kedia can do uh, Mina goes to, to a spot where he's matched up against a five, nine striker and, you know, can just go up and get a ball. But the one person who could do something was Nicola Pepe, who was the man, guy man marking Mina. And he just never gets ball side of him. Um, and so like that, that actually is a criticism I have of him in this game, but overall for Arsenal, I mean, this is just kind of a little bit more of the same story. Like they just, they kind of peppered a few shots around this time, and just I, you know, the only thing they could convert was a penalty. Like it just, it's, it's still not good enough, and they they still need someone more creative than they have. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like I, I dare say it's a little bit better because I think this was better than Burnley. But like I don't, I don't know what to do with this team at this point.
0: I mean, I I will say that I I definitely agree that it was better than Burnley because like the team kind of didn't collapse on itself. Um, And when they were down 1-0, I saw urgency for the first time from an Arsenal team that I hadn't seen in a very long time. So that kind of gave me a little bit more optimism moving forward. But as far as the game goes, like you have to win or at least be able to draw this game because again, a loss in this situation, like I know Arteta came out and said like oh we, we had 5% chance of losing this and we ended up losing and 7% chance of losing this and ended up losing those
1: statistics don't matter when you just keep losing yeah it doesn't fucking matter when you're 15th like yeah like, you know at that, like, like if you're 5th like that's kind of fine to say you got unlucky if you're 15th like no one fucking cares
0: yeah but I mean I will say I do agree with you a little bit more creativity in this team and there's something um, I will I will repeatedly say this. It reminds me way too much of United last season where Bruno came in and kind of just instantly had that impact. I don't quite know if that can be the impact somebody has on this team. But a a creative spark can really kind of change the outlook for this team. And I think that is what uh, Arsenal are going for. That's what I've heard so far. Um, There was a crazy article that Arsenal is ready for a doomsday scenario that uh, even if they get relegated, I was like, that's kind of stupid. Because I I genuinely don't see Arsenal even getting dragged in. I think over the course of the next couple of weeks, there will be self-correction. Arsenal's going to come back up. And um, Everton, though, good on you, Ancelotti, for uh, bouncing back after having that uh, five or six-game losing streak that they had in the middle of the season after a very good start. They look decent again. And And this is what we keep saying you win a couple of games, all of a sudden you're back into the thicker things. You lose a couple of games, you should be sacked. So that's how thin the margins are this year. And, and same for Arsenal. I think if they start winning a couple of games um, and then get a creative spark, you could really spur something on um, positively as far as Arsenal's uh, outlook for the season is considered. A team that has tremendously changed their outlook is Fulham Football Club. They ended the game one Newcastle United won a game with a red card in it as well. I mean, it's a game we should have seen coming. It was a draw. Funnily enough, I was at I was at a pub watching this game and somebody looks at me and goes, oh, you do a podcast? What do you think is going to happen in this game? I was like, I think it'll be a draw. And the guy goes, what's going to be? No, no, or no, 1-1. One, one, one. I was like, it's going to be 1-1. One, one. So I was very happy that I predicted live to somebody that uh, it's going to be... 1-1, one, one. I, although I wish I had predicted that in my uh, betting podcast. Having said that, I don't think either one of the two teams cared enough to win this game. It could have been potentially a relegation six-pointer one point, but I think one point uh, gets both of them to the next game happy, and I think the red card would be the only bad thing for Fulham in this situation.
1: Yeah, I mostly agree with that. I think Fulham have kind of found a little bit of something and as long as they can keep that going uh they're at the point where getting a draw here and there is is kind of fine. Earlier in the season they definitely needed to pile on some wins and they're still going to need to get more wins, but you know, taking taking a point from Newcastle isn't the the worst thing that could happen to them. Uh they'll they'll be able to pick up some points uh, later in the season. Um uh, I'm sure they get another game against Arsenal, which will probably be three points for them. <laughs> um, I I mean, I, I don't know, though. Like, this is a Newcastle team that you really would think that they would be able to create against Fulham. And they just didn't create a lot of good chances. They got the penalty. And that that was kind of the only really good chance that they had in this match. Uh, Fulham created a few. A few more chances, and you know, even though it was an own goal, I think that was a result of the pressure that Fulham were putting on, more so than just, more so than just like a freak accident type thing that happens. Um, So I completely uh, agree. I I think Fulham, even being down a man, can feel just slightly hard done by in this match. Yeah, I think that's a very fair
0: take. Uh, Scott Parker doing something there. I think those signings at the very end of the window that they ended up getting. Uh, seem to have done something into the team uh, that was non-existent. At least there's a fight, at least there's desire to go out there and do something. And they look like they're up for the pace of the Premier League. So that is good. And um, moving forward, we'll see if Fulham do survive relegation, which has, they were my favorites to be the, the worst team in the league. That does not seem to be the case anymore. That's going to be a crown. I think especially uh, safe for the team we're about to talk next. But as far as Fulham goes, we I want them to be outside the relegations comfortably before I start giving uh, Scott Parker any credit whatsoever. And as far as Newcastle goes, Steve Bruce is Steve Bruce. That's how they're going to play. So, can't really complain about that. Moving on to the next game, we had Brighton won. Sheffield United one. I, for once, was so certain this was going to be a draw that I almost was just like, how the fuck are Sheffield winning 1-0? Because no. I was just like, and it, that's ultimately what happens. Sheffield don't concede many goals and Brighton for all their chances. Don't score a lot of goals and ended up happening very happy. I think both of us can be for Danny Welbeck, when we're winning man of the batch in this situation, one, one Sheffield, even with the red card, I will feel like they should have had the three points in this situation. A much needed win for Chris Wilder's men did not arrive in time for Christmas. Um, hopefully they will get something on boxing day because as things stand, they might end up with single digit point total by the end of the season. If things don't improve, Uh,
1: that's probably getting a little carried away. I I think that they'll pick up something somewhere, but you know, this is a, this is a couple teams that probably should be doing better than they have been. And, and this is a good example of this Brighton again, another match. If you look at the expected goals, 2.9 for Brighton, 1.04 for Sheffield. like, it's Brighton keep getting these chances and just cannot convert them. I I feel like someone who can finish chances is has to be on the list of players to go after for Brighton in January. Brighton were on top for most of this game, but you know, Sheffield converted the chance they got, and they had a couple other good chances as well. Like I I don't I don't know. Like Sheffield also just is, this is a game of wasteful finishing, I feel like, and and that's why both of these ended up one-one. It could have easily ended up with each team having one or two more goals. I felt like.
0: Absolutely, I agree with that. And um, if you are a young, uh, you know, striker at any of these bigger clubs, you know, I mean, I guess I was going to say Mason Greenwood, but he's kind of, you know, he's kind of in the first team picture. But if you aren't quite in the first team picture. Brighton would be a perfect spot to go to because they create a lot of chances you can get to play. I mean, for what it's worth, your only big competition's going to be Mwape, And if you do have the technical ability, I feel like you can overtake him. And he's also going to teach you, you know, the, the dark side of being a striker, which he does very well. So, and at the end of the day, you need that for a professional. So a young striker who needs experience on loan to uh, Brighton would be great. Um, Sheffield United are looking uh, at a young from Manchester United named Jesse Lingard. So uh, we'll see how that tra- how that loan goes. But Brighton, if you need some help, man, uh, which I do think you do as a, for in terms of scoring goals. Um, hopefully, you do find someone in January because otherwise, I think both of the... Brighton's still not quite. But like with everybody else improving, it feels like Brighton's taking a step back every time I see them play, and Sheffield United just hasn't taken any steps from last season. So. I mean, they're on pace to get five points right now. Yeah. No, I mean... That's why I said they might end up with single-digit points.
1: Yeah, I I know that they're on pace for that, but, I mean, it's kind of like Arsenal's on pace for 38 points this season. Like, you just... You figure at some point it has to get a little bit better than that, and I I feel like that will happen for Sheffield. Um, But, again, like we said, that for Brighton, also, all of this season, they should be doing better than they are, and at some point, this is just who they are. Like, it's... Probably not going to get better.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, we've talked about this. This is what we said about Norwich last year over and over and over again that they need to do better finishing. So we'll see. Maybe they need to go get Timu Pukki. Who knows how that will turn out if he ends up on Brighton. Um, probably not the given Norwich are, I think, top of the league in the championship as things currently stand. So uh, moving on to the next game, this will bring a nice big smile on your face. Tottenham nil. Leicester City, too. Could have been a lot more. Jose Mourinho, what were you doing? I don't quite know. Brendan Rodgers, I wouldn't call it a masterclass because I felt like neither one of them really wanted to win the game. Madison, I felt, got robbed of a goal that, I mean, it, it, they said it's offside. I didn't look offside at all to me. But, you know, they have their protectors out. They have their all their cal- calculus books out. So they calculated that. Still, 2-0 win. Tottenham were one point top of the table, now all of a sudden look like, you know, proper Europa League contenders, and this is how quickly the scene changes, and Jamie Vardy doing his thing again, scoring a penalty, but Spurs, those low-percentage shots that they keep taking with Son and Kane, at some point, it was going to come true, and these are two teams that both take very low-percentage shots, and here we are, like, Tottenham I, I still think they're going to end up being good top four, probably at the end of the season. But it just seems like, you know, a little bit of a dud, given how many games they've had to play in quick succession.
1: Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. And it's very, I think both of these teams were happy to kind of react to the opponent. And, and you know, once Lester got that first goal, which was a, Pretty ridiculous. there there's a couple ridiculous things about this penalty. one is even that it's a penalty like I know it's a foul in the box, but it's like it's at the very edge with the ball going away from the box, and then all of a sudden because someone goes through his back stupidly it's it's now the best goal scoring chance in in the game, which I think is a dumb rule, but that that's a whole separate discussion from this. Oreo has no business going through his back there, um uh, but I was happy to see it so. That's fine. Um, But once Lester got the goal and Spurs had to take the initiative, it was just very difficult to see how they were going to get the goal. Like they had a good chance from a corner. And when that didn't go in, that they just never had any really, really good chances after that because Lester could commit back to defense and just, you know, wait to spring their striker. That's like you said, scores very low percentage chances uh, for fun. So I I don't want to say I don't want to get too carried away with just a couple of results and say that like Jose is not capable of it or anything like that, but I I'll, I'll tell you what though. Uh,
0: and and kind of interrupting you because this is a very interesting Jose Maria conversation. I think that goal by Firmino in in the 90th minute kind of stunned the Tottenham team. And th- that's why you saw Mourinho coming out and making the statements he did because he's really trying to galvanize the team again because for Kane, for all of the players in there, it, it's a very familiar feeling. They always think they're good enough and they're always not good enough. So this just seems to be a continuation of that. And I think that loss kind of took out a little bit more than you expected. But then again, this is what happens when you play the football Mourinho wants to play and play the way Kane and Son have been good because... You can't keep scoring 30-yard bangers every single game in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So do you think that because of how football's changed, because of what is currently happening in the league, Mourinho's football is going to take you places where you are going to finish top four if you have a good team. But to take that final step to beat a team like Liverpool that is so consistent week in, week out, it's going to just not turn up.
1: I think it's tough because I think the way that Mourinho plays ideally lends itself towards a cup run. Uh, I think it's a lot of, you know, making sure that you're in every single match if you're not winning every single match. And so like you don't in in a cup run that that works out because you just, uh, you give yourself a chance in every single game in the long course of a season, especially when there's less of a talent gap than there used to be, because I think when Jose was at his peak with Chelsea in the first run specifically, the gap from Chelsea to say sixth in the table or so was massive. And to say nothing about the gap towards that in like 15th or so, and the gap from Chelsea to six right now, it isn't that big. Like or I I said, Chelsea, the gap from Spurs. Yeah. 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 Um, the gap from Spurs to whoever is six is, is, is not, is not that big. Like there's lots of good. They teams. Six. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's none at all. Um, it's, but the, the teams but, yeah, around there, point. like it, there's lots of talent in here that can stay with you and, and beat you if you keep a game close. And so I think that makes it a little bit tougher for Jose's style just in general because it, it will keep not only the big teams close, it keeps the smaller teams close as well in games.
0: Exactly. And I think that, that is what the price they're paying currently after the loss or the draw against Crystal Palace and then what's happened in this game as well. So we will see moving forward how they end up doing. Most outside of that Manchester United game where they absolutely dismantled us, they haven't had a game against a big team where they have outplayed them. I expected a little bit more against Chelsea. Didn't happen. Expected a little bit more against Liverpool. That, granted, if Bergo and Finishes are having a different conversation, but he didn't, so we're not. And now against Leicester City. So I think interesting times coming up for Jose Mourinho. As far as Leicester City goes, I think how serious they are, we'll get to find out in the next game because they take on Manchester United. And talking about Manchester United, they played their first Roses derby back in the Premiership. The Leeds fans have been waiting for this day for 14 years. They probably wish they were waiting for a little bit longer because three minutes in, Scott McTominay decided to turn into prime Zinedine Zidane and just scored. I mean, the first goal was brilliant. The second run was also amazing. And then a 6-2 demolition of Leeds United. Roy Keane summed it up perfectly for me. He said, Leeds United players have a lot of courage, but there is also a lot of stupidity on that team. That is kind of what you get when you play Bielsa football. And the conversations I had about that game, I think, uh, kind of sums it up where Bielsa is in a no-lose situation. He does not have the talent, you know, so he is going to play this way. When it works, it works. When it doesn't work, you're like, hey, there's not enough talent. But they're going to make it entertaining for every single one. I mean, and I think for credit to Ole Gunnar Solchar and the team, where, you know, they dismantled Leeds in a way that everybody was kind of like. I even thought about this uh, right before the game, where if we had lost the Leeds, this would have been a very, very terrible loss, because this is a team we should be putting away given the way they play. And the first team that came into Old Trafford went with a, against a Fit Man United team to play football this year, got absolutely demolished. So happy for Man United fans, uh, happy days for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for now. Uh, Leeds United, I think they'll take it. Patrick Bamford missed a couple of chances, looked like his old championship self for a little bit. And I think that ended up costing them the game because when, the, it could have been 2-2, you know, before the third uh, third goal goes in, but Bamford missed a chance. And then, uh, After that, United being the clinical side they are, took advantage of it and ended up winning the game. Um, This is the first time United scored six goals at Old Trafford since a fateful evening in 2011. Um, I'm not going to remind you about that, but
1: Leeds United,
0: Leeds United on the other side, I mean, as we've said this before about Leeds. This isn't the game that they needed three points from. This is a game that needed three points from the Red Roses. Be happy. The White Roses—they'll go back and play their football the next game.
1: Yeah, I I pretty much think that's right. I, Leeds play a game that I think if they catch you flat-footed, they can take advantage of that and and you know keep it close and take it to you. But it, United weren't going to be caught flat-footed here, and I think. I think Ole deserves probably more credit than he's getting for this match because I think this is easy for – it's a rivalry, yes, but United Leeds haven't played in the league for years. And so for that current generation of players – even the players who grew up at Man United, I, I I don't know that that feels the same as say like the Manchester Derby or Liverpool or you know some of the other big matches for Man United. And so I I feel like Ole, you you could tell that United were up for this game in a way that I don't think Leeds were expecting them to be up for because Leeds kind of. I feel like they take advantage of a lot of player of a lot of teams, not matching their intensity player for player and United were a hundred percent on top of that. And you know, you're right. Leeds had some chances, but I, you know, Bamford missed a good chance in the first uh, 10 minutes or so. And if that goes in, maybe it's a little different, but you know, that's a big part of why Bamford is at Leeds and not still at Chelsea. Right. Cause he, cause he misses those chances.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is uh, very well put. And in my opinion, as you said, I I do think Ole deserves a lot of credit. Uh, Having him as a manager in a game like this also, I think, made a little bit of a difference because if it was somebody who doesn't understand the rivalry, maybe we aren't up for it. And more so just looking at it tactically, he had played. He kept talking about the game uh, and how tough it was back in his day, like playing at Ellen Road and stuff. So. I think that probably really played into the hands and I will say he is the first manager who's kind of made like Paul Pogba really not, a. he does not need to be a part of this team. Like he is an addition and when he plays and he's playing well, it's great. But if he had played and we lost, people would have said a lot of things and to play a game the way we did without him was very, very inspiring in my opinion. So good on him. They play uh, Leicester City next. They are on a 10-game, I think, unbeaten away run Manchester United. So we shall see if they continue that. But having said that, let's move on to an absolute thriller between West Brom and Aston Villa. Three-nil Aston Villa. Jack Grealish, I think, had two assists in as many minutes at one point. Uh, West Brom, I mean, this is a game... Aston Villa, given what they have done this season, this was not going to be close. up. West Brom did not score the first goal. Once Villa scored, it was only a matter of time before they kind of pulled themselves a little bit further away. That's what ended up happening. Three 0 Villa. I don't really have a lot more to say after that. Yeah.
1: So West Brom had one shot. It was a free. It was a free kick uh, from about thirty-five yards or so, and, and that was the only shot they had in this match. And that kind of tells you, I, I think, all you need to know about how on top of this match Villa was overall. I I don't know what, it, granted, I'm not going to judge Allardyce on one match, especially when we just got here, especially going into this specific period of the schedule where there's so many games back-to-back and you never really get a chance to settle with your squad. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, we said on the preview pod that him getting him getting sacked might have been a little bit of a wt. F to the players uh village that is um especially when they went out and had the draw against city and i kind of wonder if that was a little bit reflected in this game like villa are a better team than west Brom for sure but i wouldn't have thought it was just this thorough of a demolition
0: yeah i mean so, so here's the question right the team that played against manchester city and the way they set up and the way they played was aggressive they took the game to Manchester City that ended up getting them the point, and then like big Sam is never going to do that big Sam's gonna you know sit back, play your poor man's marino football and try to save you from relegation, which they need to survive relegation. I completely understand that I still think Billich, getting sacked as you said was a wTf moment for the players and unless this Unless the players just didn't know how to hide their emotions, this was just terrible, in my opinion. But Big Sam has a couple of games to get started. I think the next game is against a lowly team named Liverpool. After which they go, uh, they host Leeds United. So I would be stunned if they get a point. But if you can beat Liverpool on Boxing Day, Big Sam, I will buy you all the fucking pies that I can next time I'm in England.
1: Liverpool Leeds anyway, two L's incoming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh please, big Sam. Um, moving on to a game that had a result that I absolutely didn't see coming, and I didn't even watch the game till the point when I looked at the scoreline. I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Burnley to Wolverhampton Wanderers. One, I thought Burnley kind of played better than Wolves in the way that you expect Burnley to play. I'm not saying they helped played them or played them off the park. But Burnley had their style of playing. They played that. Wolverham Wanderers just on. This is a day where they played down, down to their opponent. And without a player like Raul Jimenez on a given day like this, they lose. It is funny that they would absolutely dismantle Chelsea on one side and then just go straight up, go lose to Burnley. So that's the kind of 2020 season we have had so far. And hopefully it continues like this.
1: It's really hard to uh, break it down more than that because I have no explanation for why wolves were just this ineffective against Burnley, and perhaps you could argue that, um, per- perhaps you could argue that just missing Jimenez against a team that really will play a low block is very happy for you to have all possession isn't ever going to press you. At, you know, maybe there's an argument that missing Jimenez was just really impactful to Wolves for this specific match in a way that it doesn't necessarily affect them against teams that want to play them a, a little more open, uh, like a Chelsea or Arsenal or wh- whoever you want to pick here. Um, it's, it's good for Burnley. Like I'm very, I uh, am impressed at the brief turnaround they've had. Um, you know, they beat Arsenal. Didn't have a shot on target in that match, uh, but still managed to beat us. Um, and you know, this isn't this wasn't exactly that. Uh, Burnley created a little bit more, but it's still a set piece goal. It's a header in open play. Like it's it's proper Sean Dash football, and and this is you know, what he wants to do is just you know get his get his big bodies and a chance to create a little havoc at the goal. And if they do that enough, it's going to go in at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, and as you said, strong football, cause that is essentially the term you use to describe this. And uh, see, this is again, a problem with World round waters, because we keep saying like, this is a transition transition season for fuck's sake. Uh, And they, over and over again, seem to prove us wrong when they play the bigger teams that play football. But when it comes down to it, they just cannot seem to capitalize against the smaller teams. And this was a prime, prime example. I also think more than Jimenez, these are games where they just don't have an X factor. Because even when, say, a Man United plays Burnley or Arsenal plays Burnley or or, any of the big teams, we need that somebody who's going to make that difference. And over the years, we have seen that we don't have those players. So uh, I think it is kind of carrying on with Wolves and other teams that if you don't have that x factor player, you're just not going to be able to beat them. But we'll see how they bounce back against Tottenham because, again, if Tottenham plays that same way, I think Mourinho goes in and beats them. Everyone's going to be like, oh, like, look, Mourinho football works, but we'll just got to remember, again, that's not the kind of football they like playing against. Moving on to the last in of the weekend, Chelsea 3-West Ham. They all had a little bit higher expectation from this game. Don't think the scoreline is really indicative. Uh, it's nice to see the German uh, Morata having a good time at Chelsea so far. Uh, I mean, it, it is just not working out for the goals. Thiago Silva with the first goal and then Tammy Abraham with a brace uh, to finish West Ham off. Timo Warner needs to do better. Kai Havertz ends up coming on, but not for very long. Lampard's got a job to do, man. And he's got London Derby coming up against. I mean, this is also London Derby, I guess. So back-to-back London derbies with him taking on Arsenal next and then playing Manchester City. So it's getting very, very interesting for uh, Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they deserve some credit here. Like, it's like, striker disagrees. Um uh, it's uh, Chelsea need to go out and get a win in this match, and it didn't necessarily need to be pretty. It didn't need to be anything like that. They just needed to get a win. And I think that they went out and did a professional job of doing that. Like like I said, Silva getting on the score sheet. I'm a little more pessimistic on West Ham in this game than you are. I, I don't think that West Ham were really that consistently challenging Chelsea. I I think they were combative. I think that they were, I think that they gave Chelsea a good game, but I think Chelsea were mostly in control in this match. And um, I I don't necessarily think they stressed too much. And and Chelsea had a lot of the better chances and were deserved winners. And I, I don't think there's that much more to take from it. I do think that you're right though, that Lampard does have a big job ahead with managing a lot of personalities, a lot of egos, a lot of all of that through this uh, period. But there's a lot of football to play, so there should be a lot of minutes to go around.
0: I agree. I think, that, I think the biggest problem and the work that I was looking for the most that he's going to have to manage is expectations. Because I think if the, the amount of money that they ended up spending, if he had spent that over two windows, I think the expectations are not as crazy. But because of, you know, spending as much money getting the players, they ended up getting expectations went skyrocketing for him. And I mean, I talked to a bunch of friends of my uh, friends of mine who are Chelsea fans. And it's funny because some of them are like, you know, it's Lampard. Like it's a second season at Chelsea. Like give him some time. It's going to he's going to come good. And then there are others who say that it's like any other decent manager would be getting better results than what Lampard is getting. So it He's starting to seem like there is some sort of a excuse me, uh, disconnect between what is happening, but I, I think the next two games potentially tell us a lot, especially against the Arsenal team that seem to be very, very good at not conceding. Um, I guess, I mean, they, they, don't, they play defensive football. Who knows? But they end up conceding, yeah. Uh, you got what I was trying to say. Um, and I think on the other side, you'll have a Chelsea team with a little bit, like an Arsenal team that has something to prove, so it will be interesting. And as far as West Ham United are concerned, I think this is a game that they didn't, they didn't think they were going to win. Morris showed up knowing that he was not going to really have a shot. If Destin and was was trying to audition for that job at Chelsea, that was not a very good audition in my opinion because he got kind of just pushed around in the whole game. So it uh, will be interesting to see how he does. Do you expect any big January signings as we're getting there? And we're rounding up this podcast. Quick final question for you. Uh, specifically for Chelsea? Um, or just in general, do you see anybody spending big outside of maybe Arsenal and the can?
1: I mean, I, I do think that Arsenal need a creative player. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal actually bring in two players. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't know. I think... I think there will still be some things to figure out with COVID regulations and with, um, you know, the the new strain and going to tier four lockdown over in London. uh, Perhaps that might put a damper on things because I think so when we talk about fans coming back to the stadium, going from zero to 2000 seemed like a really big step. Uh, But going from like 2000 to 20,000 or so doesn't seem like as big of a step. So going back to zero, I think it is probably a pretty big blow for a lot of what these teams were planning on uh, as far as revenues that they would be bringing in. So I don't know. I don't know how much of a monkey wrench that is going to throw into things. I don't know. I still feel like there's a lot of pent up business that teams would have liked to have done the summer, but just weren't quite ready with the uncertainty at that time. And I, I think as close as this table is compressed, I think you'll see some team. I, I'm not sure who that is. It could even be a like a lesser or so that we Southampton that we're not really expecting. But seeing that this is a season, they can go for it and really go for it. I agree. And
0: uh, as far as I think the fans go, as you said, that is going to be very interesting how it moves forward because I think uh, – Ferencena Pires, the president of Real Madrid, came out and made a statement in support of needing a Super League because I think the English teams are still going to be somewhat okay financially, at least the bigger teams. Um, But as far as the smaller teams go, man, it it, it is going to be tough. The the government's trying to help them out and everything. And until the fans come back, and as you said, the new strain of COVID that's up in the uh, UK right now, which kind of throws the entire, again, Champions League and Europa League in jeopardy because if it continues until March and February, even like you're not going to be allowed to travel around. So these are things that, you know, logistical and government policy things that we don't really have an answer to and how it happens. And because of that, I don't expect a big window coming up in January because there's way too much uncertainty. But we saw also in the summer that for certain teams it doesn't matter. For certain teams it does matter. So um we will get to know more about that. Would not be surprised though if uh even Manchester City went and tried to get somebody big to uh who's a goal scorer and, and is Norwegian. So that would be my prediction. Having said that,
1: Sean we Curry, will be you heard back. It here first. <laughs>
0: uh having said that we will be back later this week with a preview for boxing day we will try to cover more than just boxing Day. hopefully uh, on that podcast in order to make sure we give you the bets for the upcoming week might be a little bit hectic for the upcoming podcast so uh keep an eye out and uh if there are any logistical changes we shall let you know having said that that's it for me sapone and Braden, and we will see you on the next episode Cheers. Bye-bye.